You're listening to TIP. We wanted to try a bunch of stuff and really blow people away with unique units and the different options they had in terms of staying with us. Tent, treehouse, container home, dome. And part of it was just seeing what does the best? What's the easiest to manage? What's the biggest pain operationally? What's the most expensive, least expensive? Just thinking about all those things. Hey, everybody. In this week's episode, I got to sit down with Ben Wolf to chat about his strategy of building a unique stays portfolio. You also hear about how Ben first got involved in the Airbnb short-term rental market, how he went about his first unique stay development, how he thinks about taking on risk and making entrepreneurial moves, and how he's building out his team at Onera. Ben is currently building and managing $65 million worth in experiential hospitality real estate, which includes treehouses, safari tents, and container homes through a real estate fund that he co-founded. He's the founder and CEO of Stay Oasis, which is his experiential hospitality management and growth firm. He's also the co-founder of Onera in Texas and the Spirit of Sophia in Palm Springs. Prior to getting involved in the unique stays market, Ben grew a short-term rental management company from 8 to 200 units in just 18 months. Be sure to give this episode a listen and also make sure to check out Ben's unique properties online. Without further delay, let's get into this week's episode with Ben Wolf. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard, Patrick Donnelly, and Kyle Grieve, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host today, Patrick Donnelly, and joining me today is Mr. Ben Wolf. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. Really appreciate you having me on. I am happy to have you on today. Thank you for your time, first of all. So I wanted to get into Twitter a little bit. You're known as the Unique Stays guy. I wanted to hear a little bit about your thesis around Unique Stays, and just if you could kind of go into it and explain it to us in a little more detail, that would be great. Sure. I think Unique Stays... And we also call them one of one stays, experiential stays. There's a number of different ways we talk about it. Me and my team believe it's the way of the future. We don't think that the modern traveler today is interested in staying at a big box chain hotel that's the same room, whether you're in Thailand or Texas, right? That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for something that's more of a unique experience that inspires them, that really kind of draws them in and connects them also to the, you know, the local vibe as well. So we just think this whole idea of experiential stays and another aspect of that too, we don't think the modern traveler cares as much about, let's say, on-site staff, for example, or a check-in desk. Like, there's things they don't care about and things they do. You know, high design, architecture, Instagrammable, creating a story and a vibe, something that's very unique and experiential. We think they care about all those things like tech enablement is another one. But then things like having the same room no matter where they go and the exact same amenity stack and the same bed. And we don't think they care as much about those things or, you know, the turn down service or the check in desk person or people like that. So we're really just trying to focus on what we think the modern traveler cares about and wants and sort of get rid of all the rest. We're going to get, I want definitely want to get into the different projects that you've done because they're super fascinating. Yeah. They look like they're from a cover of Dwell Magazine. But talk to me a little bit just about how the inspiration for all this came about. How did you get the passion to start to do this? 
So, I mean, I've, I've always been interested in real estate. So there's always been that aspect to me. I actually found out, I forgot I had done this when I was a little kid. I did this like dream home project when I was like 10 or 11, basically working in like an early version of CAD and creating this whole like, you know, dream house. So I think it's been a, a bit in my blood and something I've just been interested in for a long time. Specifically, unique stays and kind of Airbnb STR. I can tell you, so I had built up an Airbnb management portfolio. We had some units that were, we were doing lease arbitrage. I had some units that I was just doing third-party management for. Uh, I actually quit my software sales job in April of 2018 to build up that company full-time. And I built it from, you know, we had a handful, eight to 10 units or something like that under management, most of which, you know, we controlled the lease for. And I built that up to a couple hundred units in, by the end of 2019. So scaled that, figured out how to build that operation, offshore call center in the Philippines, you know, local ground teams that were third-party contractors in every market that we had really good relationships with. I was kind of doing the revenue management myself with some help from the, the Philippines offshore team as well. And then at some point in there, I got married and I realized I couldn't be on my phone dealing with guest BS at my wedding. So I hired my first GM and it's like the best was the best thing I ever did. And, you know, recently did that at my, my new company, Oasi as well. And it's always amazing to do that. So I started with short-term rental Airbnb management, grew that company through 2019. Was that the company called Blink? It was, yeah. Blink Hospitality. Yep. With my partner in that endeavor was John Cole. And then COVID hit. And ironically enough, we were actually in the Philippines having this like yay rara event with our offshore team. It was the first time we'd gone over there. We got this big villa. And I think, you know, while we were there, Trump closed the border from like Europe flying into the US and just halted travel. Almost all of our bookings got canceled overnight. I mean, it was like a movie. It was insane. Were you able to get back to the US or how long did it take you? My, it's, it's a sore subject with my wife. I don't because like when I was going over there, I was like, oh, like there's like one case in the Philippines. It's fine. It's fine. And it wasn't fine. You know, after I got there. Flew to Boracay, they like shut the border or no, they closed the Manila airport like the day or two days after I flew to Boracay, which is this like really nice island beach in the Philippines. So then like me and my partner ended up flying to Bali and we were able to like get out from there, but it was like by the skin of my teeth and ill-advised. So we, we made it back, but all of our bookings got decimated and we just were trying to survive, right? We were just trying to get back to break even, fill units long-term, get out of leases, I think we were doing it the right way with landlords, which they were scared to because people weren't paying. So we were able to kind of come to some good kind of mutually beneficial situations where it's like, okay, charge us half rent for the next year. Or, you know, we figured out how to make it work. But around that time, we also started thinking about what else can we do? What, what is actually working right now? And I had already been turned on to this whole idea of unique stays, glamping, alternative accommodations. I think, you know, that guy you were talking about earlier, Jesse, my partner and revenue manager now in, in Owasi, he had his compound out in Joshua Tree, had like a converted bus, an Airstream, converted garage. He had, you know, a, a plane that was no longer in service, but it was just kind of like an art sculpture on the property. And I had seen this and I saw the numbers he was doing and it was kind of pretty exciting. Me and my wife had done this RV trip around the Southwestern US and just reconnected with the great outdoors. And and I feel like there was a lot of that going on, obviously that accelerated during COVID. So it all just kind of pushed me in this direction of what became Onera. So me and my partner 
uh, John decided to raise a real estate fund. So not get out of just doing management and actually get into real estate investing. Initially, that was going to be more of a, you know, rental arbitrage fund with some kind of glamping mixed in. And then the glamping just became, it started doing so well that we decided to do more and more of that and really just focus on unique stays with our fund. So yeah, that all kind of pushed me in the direction of building Onera. Started looking at land in the Texas Hill Country. And yeah, we can get into more of that, but that's kind of what pushed me in that direction. Did you wind blank down? Did you had what, 200 properties under management? Did you wind that down as you were starting up this new fund in Onera? We didn't wind it down. And largely, I mean, thankfully, I had built a team that allowed me to be much more passive at that point. So my GM was largely running that with our offshore Philippines team. I had not spoken to an irate guest since six months before my wedding, which was amazing. So yeah, that was pretty passive for me. And I could focus all my energy on the fund and building up Onera. So I wanted to hear about that first acquisition. You said it was in Texas Hill Country. Talk to us about that, how you located it, what kind of the parameters you were looking at for land acquisition. Yeah. So it sort of started with I want to find a market within a few hours driving distance of where I live, ideally closer. It's my first big development project. I wanted to be able to be there often. I think at the time, I think my wife was pregnant or became pregnant sort of in the middle of my search. So I knew I wanted to be a little closer to home, but still be able to have eyes on the project. And I identified three markets really within like a couple hours of Austin that I was trying to find a market where these like studio or one bedroom units that were a little unique or very unique were doing these insane numbers, right? You know, a, a zero or one bedroom couples unit was doing a hundred thousand a year or a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year or something like that. Those kind of numbers got me excited. And then also how cool was the unit? Like if the unit was just amazing, whatever, then it felt like they had kind of optimized. But if it, the unit was kind of cool, but I thought I could do something even better and they were already doing $100,000 a year, I figured that there was additional you know, revenue that I could create there. So that led me to Dripping Springs, Fredericksburg, and Wimberley. Fredericksburg was the highest performing one at the time. Or actually, Fredericksburg and Wimberley were both like kind of neck and neck for the highest performing. I think we got one property actually under contract in Dripping Springs. Initially, we did due diligence on that. Probably spent 10 grand. Come to find out the deed restrictions wouldn't allow for it. So that was a good like learning experience, right? I mean, I was new and very green to development. So I didn't and haven't made that mistake again. That's like the first thing that we check and make sure of because owners will tell you whatever you want, whatever they think will sell the place, they'll tell you. So you really got to do your own research. And then it just became, I saw this property in Fredericksburg I really liked, but the guy was asking at the time, like, you know, probably two times what it was worth. You know, you had it listed for like in the mid sixes and it was probably worth like 350 at most, maybe four on the super high end. And then two months later, I found a property two parcels down that was basically the same, the same property, but it was 375. And it had this big kind of ditch through the middle of it, which made it kind of undesirable for a single family home or something like that, but allowed us to build units along the ditch. And long term, we might actually create like a little stream or something in there. But even as it is now, it's kind of a cool land feature. So we were kind of able to turn a negative into a positive there. Was it almost like in a floodplain? Oh, there was a a considerable amount of it that was in a floodplain as well. 
And those units were, we planned as treehouse units. So we elevated them. They were going to be treehouse units anyway. So it really worked. And then the one thing I do want to say in terms of locking the place down, it's all about speed when it comes to that, right? I mean, Zillow, Realtor, off-market, on-market, whatever it is, maybe off-market, you have a little more time. But for something that's on the market, both my Fredericksburg property and Wimberley property, I got under contract the day after it hit the market. So when you get it under contract, are you putting any contingencies on it? Or are you, I mean, you've got to get some due diligence done. You can't just go into it. Yeah, usually, of course. Yeah, usually we'll get like a, you know, a 10 day option period or something like that. With Wimberley, I actually was able to negotiate more. I mean, I'll ask for whatever I think I can get, right? If I think I can get a month, two months, you know, and now I push for more. We're more established. I can say everything we've gotten under contract, we've closed on that didn't have like deed restrictions or something that was unworkable. So that helps our case. So yeah, now I try to get 60, 90, something like that for a due diligence period. But usually you land somewhere in the 30 to 60 range. But my first property, I mean, I think it was 10 days, two weeks, something like that. So that first property, I'm fascinated by this. What was the acreage? Did you have a plan kind of drawn out or you, you're you kind of limited to what the land offers, right? So it's not like you can have a plan ready to roll. So Talk to us about that, like how, just how you planned the project. We had some idea of unit types. We had that, and we actually, we had that Dripping Springs property that fell through. Part of that 10 grand was developing a site plan and thinking about unit types and all this kind of stuff, which a lot of that stuff doesn't transfer, but some of it does. Like unit types, for example, we could think about where they would fit on this new site and just the process of working with the architect and designer I was working with was a lot quicker and more streamlined. He knew what I liked. You know, I knew kind of how he was going to design things in the process. So that went quicker. But yeah, there's definitely an element of of what is the land calling for. I could definitely speak to that more at, at Wimberley as well. I mean, Fredericksburg is very much this bespoke. We were trying a whole bunch of different stuff. We didn't really know what we were doing, right, in all honesty. But we wanted to try a bunch of stuff and really blow people away with unique units and the different options they had in terms of staying with us. Tent, treehouse, container home, dome. And part of it was just seeing what does the best. What's the easiest to manage? What's the biggest pain operationally? What's the most expensive, least expensive? Just thinking about all those things. So you had raised money to do all this, right? You had started a fund at that point. And I just was interested in how you did the capital stack, how you found investors, things like that. Can you go into that? Yeah. So it's a little more complicated than we just raised a fund. So this owner of Fredericksburg project and the whole landscape hotel glamping resort that I was going to do in the Texas Hill Country, I actually just raised initially from friends and family. And then we decided we were going to raise a bigger, more legitimate real estate fund. And later on, we actually rolled that project into the fund. So, and that was great for the fund because we had a project that was like six, eight months, you know, down the line. We were only a few months away from completion and cash flow. So it was good for the fund. We were able to give those original investors a stake in the fund and also like, you know, some interest, basically like high interest for the time loss from when they put money into when we closed the fund. So that's how that piece worked. That was the equity. And then when it comes to the bank and, and lending, it was, you know, I called 20 local banks, maybe more, and, and I got 18 no's and one maybe and one yes. You know, I mean, that's just like, it's just, I really feel like banking, You, I had some track record to show for that definitely helped, right? I had built up Blink. They loved that cash flow. Blink was a guarantor. 
So that was that was big. I mean, I didn't really have much in the way of assets to speak of. So me being a guarantor didn't mean that much. My partner John had a little bit, still not a ton. I think Blink and the cash flow there was probably the, our biggest asset besides for just finding a commercial loan officer that really loved the product, believed in it, was like, I want to take my wife here. You know, I mean, that, that's what it was, finding an advocate that was willing to go to bat for us and believe in the product at one of these local banks. So you hadn't had any development experience at that point. Did you have a model that like when you approach this commercial loan officer, like this is what we're modeling it after. This is what we're going to do. This is our vision. Because I can imagine it'd be hard to explain to a guy that's like not done glamping or not done a unique stay. We did. We definitely did. We had a nice package, a lot of pretty pictures, renderings, you know, we, we from our suppliers that had these kind of out of the box units, we were able to show those. And then we were working with this custom treehouse builder, Artistry. I love that name. It's Artist Tree, right? Yeah. So, and they have a, this very, you know, high end, beautiful custom treehouse, you know, micro resort in Spicewood. They've actually had them for years now. And we were able to use some of those units as comps. And also it lent credibility to us as well. Like, hey, these, the guys that are designing and building for us have already done this. These are their units. You know, they helped put together the package for us, you know, designed Monarch from scratch with my collaboration. You know, Monarch was kind of a collaborative effort. Spyglass, they already actually had out of the box. That's like an artistry unit. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. 
Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. Can I, I just want to stop you there. Let's take a step back because I, I really want to go into Spyglass and Monarch. Those are two really unique properties. I love them. I love, uh, I want to stay in Spyglass. <laughs> But talk to us a little bit about Spyglass first. Like it's a super unique design. It's not just a box on stilts. No. So Monarch actually came first and initially artistry, artistry wasn't really even offering up Spyglass. This was like a product that they were going to basically try to do this rev share deal with developers. And I don't think that really panned out. And we ended up being the first Spyglass and we were searching for another unit at some point along the line. I can't remember why. Um, but we were searching for another unit and we all kind of agreed we wanted to do like a higher end, more luxury unit like Monarch. And they were like, hey, we have Spyglass. I think it would fit really well in this part of the site, you know, where it is in the canopy kind of perched up and kind of focusing into a, a group of trees. It just feels super private. And I was like, I mean, it fits. It works. I loved the curved nature. I feel like that's very unique. I think that's very attractive. It's got this kind of minimalistic elegance to it, right? It's like a very elegant shape, especially the interior shot. One thing that I found later with Spyglass, actually, you know, differing from Monarch, it's really photogenic from the interior. You're able to get this shot straight through the unit with the hot tub out on the back. And it really just photographs really well from the interior. The exterior is actually more of a challenge with Spyglass and Monarch's the reverse. So Monarch is harder to you know, get that straight through shot. The layout is a little more awkward for that, but the exterior just sings, right? And sells it. So future sites are actually trying to find a unit that's got the best of both. But with Monarch, less so with Spyglass because they already had it out of the box. It's very much a collaborative approach, right? Like, you know, I'll have an idea with, with architects and designers in general, artistry before, and, and we work with this guy, Adam Gates now, and he's got a team in Barcelona as well. And, you know, they... I have an idea, they have an idea, we riff on it, you know, it it evolves, right? And we try to create the situation where where the best idea wins, right? It's this collaborative approach as opposed to like, you know, I'm the architect and all this ego wrapped into my design. So I really try to find architects and designers that are interested in collaboration and sort of egoless in the sense of let's let the best design win, the most attractive, interesting design. So for our listeners that want to take a look at Spyglass or Monarch, how can they take a look? So you can go to our website, stayonera.com, S-T-A-Y-O-N-E-R-A.com. And then same spelling, stayonera, at stayonera is our Instagram. So you can check us out on Instagram as well. We're really, as I'm sure you've seen, focusing a lot on our content machine on Instagram. So originally when Onera opened, I was just listed on Airbnb. That was kind of my bread and butter. That's what I knew how to do. And we were having amazing results on Airbnb. And we actually had our first influencer found me on Airbnb, found us, stay on era, and was just incessantly messaging us, right? Like, let me stay, let me do this post. And I wanted to do direct bookings and set an Instagram up, but it was kind of on the back burner. What is the cut that Airbnb takes? So they take 3% from the host, but then they're charging the guest like 12%. So net effective, it's like 15. So it's pretty considerable, similar to a lot of the other ones. Verbo is even a little less, I think, all in. Booking.com is the same or more. So it's it's considerable. And 
I just didn't realize the power and to some extent the ease of building this direct booking engine through social if you have a highly Instagrammable unique products, right? So you need the product that fits the platform and that marketing strategy. Like if we just had run of the mill townhomes or, you know, basic apartments, then I mean, there's almost nothing you can do, right? You need a unique product that's going to sell that way. So this influencer kept hitting me up and it was kind of this thing where I was like, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever. And I think it made her like want it more, right? Like I want to be the first person to showcase this product, this new project in Central Texas that's super unique. So finally I said yes. And she was super helpful and super valuable. She didn't charge me anything because I was not willing to do that at that time. Now I'm open to that and we've had her back and are happy to pay her because we know the value that's generated. But first time around, was not willing to do that. We just did a, a comp stay, right? She got to stay. She got loads of content. We did a giveaway with her via Instagram. And that's like right when I got the initial Instagram engine going. So got our Instagram page up. I was doing it myself. Didn't really know what I was doing. Was just posting photos that we had. And we had good photos. We've since moved to really focusing on video because that's that has a way you know better chance of going viral. But at the time, just posting photos, she did a giveaway. We probably picked up, I don't know, five to 8,000 followers just from her giveaway. And in that first month, we did like 10,000 indirect bookings with one of her posts. And then the following month, we did like, I think it was like 30,000 indirect bookings, also largely tied to another post that she did. So, I mean, the returns were just unbelievable, right? For giving up one comp night, which maybe the expected value on that night is you know, 200 bucks or 250 bucks, some random weeknight in February, right? So at that point, it sounded like Instagram came first. You're now on Twitter. That's where you and I connected. Talk to us a little bit about just your social media strategy. We had mentioned Isaac French and he does a fantastic job in, in marketing. What's his place called? Live Oaks? Live Oak Lake. Live Oak Lake. Yeah. So talk yep. to us a little bit more about just your strategy in general and how you're going about creating the content, creating the videos, creating you know, Instagrammable moments that you can put out there? So we tried to outsource this stuff. Okay. Um, we tried a number of agencies, both for, you know, my Twitter, for LinkedIn, for um, Onera's Instagram, Spirit of Sophia's Instagram. And we've just found that no one's going to do it like us, right? I mean, there's an element of that, which I wish there was an agency that I knew of that we could hire that that would take it off our plate, but it has forced us to build this amazing internal team. So we have producers, editors, you know, people that help with storyboarding. You know, we have you know, obviously like copywriters and shooters, right? We have this this whole team, some of which contract, some of which full time. And how we're able to perform relative to like when I was just kind of goofing around myself. And then even when we when we had the agency is it's remarkable the difference when we really focus on creating this highly engaging, well thought out with strong hooks, right? Videos that, you know, have a, have subtlety and nuance to them and really like evoke emotion from our audience and inspire our audience to book. And you're getting these guests that are inspired. So they're willing to pay more, right? They're less price sensitive. And they're also, you know, we're cutting out the OTA fees. There's no booking platform fees. Say, explain what OTA fees are. Online travel agency. So that's Airbnb, booking.com, any of these, you know, we just call those OTA fees. So what Airbnb is charging 12% of the guest and 3% of the host. We're able to capture, let's say 80, 90% of that margin. We try to create price parity on our website and Airbnb. 
you know, we'll, we'll shave a percentage or two off on the website, but generally website bookings are getting driven from Instagram. And that ironically enough, that audience is willing to pay more than Airbnb. Airbnb a lot of times is price shopping. You know, some of those guests are aspirational and just want the most unique, exciting stay, but they're comparing them against a bunch of other stays. Somebody goes to our Instagram page and then goes directly to our website. They're only comparing us to us. So talk to me about the staff at Onera. How are you guys managing all this? You mentioned a little bit about the online media, social media stuff, but talk to us more broadly in, in terms of the staff that you have there. Yeah, of course. So we have an onsite manager at Onera who's, who's amazing. He actually, uh, he worked at under canvas at one point. So he's got quite a bit of experience in this space and yeah, he handles any like on the ground issues that we need. Then I have an offshore team in the Philippines. And I now have a dedicated team just for Onera. So there's a, I mean, that's not true. Onera, Spirit Sophia, and a few of our other like higher end homes. So more of the sort of higher end product line that we have. I have a dedicated team of five folks that are really just kind of cream of the crop. In the Philippines? In the Philippines. And we, and we have a, a very robust hiring process to make sure that we're really getting the cream of the crop. And it's proven out. Are you using an agency to find overseas talent or do you, how do you go about doing that? So I used to do it all myself through Upwork. And then, you know, I, I had my GM and other members of my team recruiting via Upwork as well. Upwork's gotten very crowded and competitive. It's, you know, harder and harder to attract talent and identify talent at, at decent rates. So went on a limb and, and saw, I think Nick Huber posted about Support Shepherd, his company that, that helps source folks from over there. And we ended up working with them. So our last hire we did through Support Shepherd. The other members of the team were all through Upwork or referrals. I've had a lot of luck with referrals. So if I find one good person on Upwork, they'll, you know, refer other people that they've worked with in other jobs or, you know, folks that they know are good. But yeah, our latest hire is from Support Shepherd and she's awesome. She's, she's really great. I will say, so they have a great policy where if you're not happy with your hire, they'll go out and find another one. And we had this scenario where this we have this robust interviewing process, four interviews or something, did a bunch of tests. And this girl, you know, interviewed great. And she we thought she was going to be fantastic. I was super excited about her. And on day one, it was just very clear that she wasn't a team player from the manager of that team was like, you know, I'm sorry, she's, you know, she's not flexible with her schedule. She's like basically just telling me how it's going to go. And I've learned over the years, you know, hire slow, fire fast. If we made a mistake and she interviewed well and it wasn't going to work out, just cut her loose right away. So that's what we did. We told Support Shepherd. They got us another, you know, number of candidates. And within a month, we had a, another rock star who has proven out to be great. I think Nick is, I think he hired his first three people from Support Shepherd and like they, they were all fantastic. And I've got an episode of with Nick coming out next week, actually. So, and he goes into all the different companies that he's up to lately. So he's got a lot going on. So I wanted to backtrack a little bit and talk about some of your career steps. You've had a really interesting career progression and it seems like you're not afraid to like make a 90 degree turn do something completely outside of the box. For somebody like that's early in their career, I just wanted to hear how you go about kind of pursuing a dream or pursuing what maybe could be called a calling. There's a lot of people that are probably just stuck in, I think I heard a stat yesterday that 80% of people just don't like their careers, don't like their jobs. So can you talk a little bit about how you've gone about finding work that's right for you, pursuing and having the confidence to pursue the things that you've done? 
Yeah, happy to. I, I talk to my wife about this sometimes. It's like, I think I have this, this view. I'm willing to take risks, clearly. And part of my philosophy is, worst case scenario, I'll go get a job, right? I feel like I'm, I'm employable. I've been able to get jobs before. And I believe that if I fall flat on my face, I can go get a job, right? So that, that's like, if my worst case, I think about worst case scenario, and the worst case scenario is not that bad. And realistically, what will happen is I'll get a job, I'll, I'll do well in it for a few years, and then I'll get the itch and I'll try and start something else, right? That's just part of my makeup, right? I'm going to be restless if I'm working for somebody else for too long. And I, I think that, you know, having that perspective and look, I've gotten my butt handed to me a few times. So I know what that's like. I've, I know what it's like to fall flat on my face and I've developed a bit of resilience, which I think helps to alleviate some of that fear that might be associated with getting stuck in a job. And look, when it comes to a calling, if you would have asked me that three years ago, I would have said, I don't, I mean, I might not have been honest about it, but I didn't feel like what I was doing was my calling. I didn't think Airbnb management and building up this, you know, lease arbitrage company, like it, it wasn't my calling, but it made good money and I was scaling the operation and it was kind of interesting, interesting enough. And I thought that over the course maybe I would find something that was more of my calling. And that that ended up happening, right, with Onera. I do certainly believe that unique stays, providing a one-of-a-kind experience, I have found something that I truly love. And I am so grateful for that because there was a long time, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to find that, which I think most people feel, right? I definitely was there. And I also, there was a lot of time I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and start my own thing, but I, I didn't think I was creative enough, right? I mean, this, this limiting belief, I'm a good executor, I'm really good at kind of, you know, having a sense of urgency and pushing things forward and, you know, kind of being responsible for a, a wide set of, of functions and whatnot and developing people and, and all that. But I didn't think I was creative enough, but I did think that I could spot talent and I could spot what is interesting and help refine it and make it even better. And that's kind of what I've done with Onera and, and future developments, right? I work with creatives. So I have architects and designers and all these, these folks that I collaborate with in order to, you know, create these amazing spaces. And, and then again, it's about not being afraid to ask a bank for, you know, millions of dollars to build tree houses or, you know, it's just, you really have to get past that idea and, and that really that fear. Did you have any books or podcasts or mentors early on that have influenced you during this course of your entrepreneurial life? So my dad gave me, and I read super early, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I don't remember like specific chapters or anything like that, but I, I do remember, and I was like a teenager, I think. I do think it started me on this quest of learning how to work well with others, right? And to persuade people and, you know, be likable, I think is important. And I think kind of parlayed into uh, charisma and being also being genuine. I think that's an element like a genuineness and being able to establish trust is something that you know, is kind of a, it's a big part of who I am. And I'm able to leverage that. I mean, not even consciously, but just subconsciously, I'm able to leverage that into building relationships really quickly, getting a bank to trust me that, you know, I'm going to build this $5 million uh, micro treehouse resort and it's going to do super well. So yeah, I think that book really helped get me on the path. In terms of people, I mean, certainly Jesse, my partner and, and co-founder now, I mean, I used to work for him. So he got me into the whole Airbnb game right? He had an Airbnb short-term rental management company called Senstay back in like, I think they started around maybe 2012, 2013, something like that. And I worked for him in 2014. 
help do some business development, help to launch a boutique hotel that they had purchased in, in San Francisco. He saw potential in me early. I mean, I was in my mid twenties, right? He was, you know, late thirties CEO, founder of, of this company. And we always stayed in touch and, and, you know, remained friends and did some trips together and stuff like that. And, and I always, first of all, he kind of got me into this Airbnb space in general. And then I think I mentioned he had this compound in Joshua tree that got my, my wheels kind of turning around unique stays and glamping and all the rest. But, you know, it's funny, you talk to him, he'll tell you that, like, I kind of took what he was doing and took it to the nth degree, right? He had a converted bus and a, a garage and all this stuff. And, and then I went and created Monarch, right? It was like 10 steps removed from what he was doing. But then he came to Onera and saw what I was doing and was just like, man, your biggest mistake was you didn't do more, right? You didn't build more. I was kind of joking, right? I mean, I, I was limited from a resource standpoint. But uh, yeah, and then, I mean, he's the the best that I know and, and the best that a lot of really credible folks in our space know for revenue management, pricing optimization. He's a, a math and expected value whiz. And I knew how much value that was going to bring to our business. So, you know, I, I kind of paid a lot in equity and salary to, to get him on board. And he's one of the best I know at getting up to speed on something really quickly. So going kind of like, you know, zero to 85, 90, and then becoming the best at something. He's, he's really good and process oriented when it comes to that. And he, he's actually the one driving and sort of leading a lot of the engine of our social team right now. And I know he's already gone from our best performing video reel without collaborators was, you know, probably like 10,000 views or something. And now we have multiple videos with two, 250,000 views. And we've only been doing it for a couple months. So he's just, you know, if I can let him kind of go off and figure stuff out and I handle everything else and, you know, help kind of build the team and lead the vision, have this big vision that we're driving towards and allow him to kind of innovate. It's a really good uh, balanced setup we have. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability 
and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. I wanted to hear what part of all this you enjoy the most, like the visioning strategy part of it, the architectural part of creating the actual properties themselves, managing the staff, building the company. What part of it are you enjoying the most? So there is something about development that's really special to me, seeing a a piece of raw dirt you know, land and being able to envision what that can become and then turning it into that thing is very exciting to me and empowering. And it's just super cool. And the various stages along the way, right? So like finding that perfect piece of land that I go and I'm like, this is it. I've seen 20 other places. I'm depressed that I'm not going to find the one and then I find the one, right? And I just know that's super exciting and then the initial concepting, right? Like walking the site with architects and designers and figuring out what we're going to do, you know, letting the land speak to us a little bit, like what makes sense where, and then iterating on the concept. So then it's like concept deck. Oh, wow. This is the site plan. These are the kind of units that we're actually going to do. They're going to blow people away. And then it's the like clearing. Okay. This is where the units are going to go. This was just like a forest. Now I can start to see where they're going to go. And then it's, you know, ground up. The utilities and infrastructure isn't, isn't all that exciting to me, right? But once we're ground up and, you know, can actually see the unit where it's going and then the finished products, I mean, it's, uh, there's not much like it. And then, so there's nothing on the development side. On the other side of things, I mean, look, I love building the organization that we have and really trying to only attract top tier talent. Because one thing that I've found is that the, the best way to piss off an A player is surround him with C players, right? So really trying to make sure we only have A players around us, which is really hard. It's super easy to get discouraged and be like, I'm just, I'm not going to find the right person. Let's just fill the gap with whoever we need to. And it's just, you're doing yourself and your team a disservice. So trying to craft the organization, you know, our mission values and, and really development of people internally. That's exciting to me too, and continuing to improve that. You've got a project underway now. Can you talk about that? I think it's 28 units. It's kind of a mix. I wanted to hear more about your next project that you guys are up to. I can. Yeah. And this was really the property I was talking about when I said, this is it. When I saw the land, I mean, O'Neill Fredericksburg, I loved. It's half a mile from Main Street. It's in this little forest that looks off the beaten path. It's on a, you know, on a creek that's really beautiful and nice and serene. But the O'Neill Wimberley property is breathtaking. I mean, it's perched on top of a hill, a couple miles from Wimberley Square, which is a really cool, vibey, kind of hippy-dippy, nature-focused town in Central Texas. Really cool views. They have a lot of water features like Blue Hole, Jacob's Well. There's a number of these kind of water feature, natural water feature attractions. And Cypress Creek runs through 
the main town of Wimberley. So you have all these restaurants and stuff on this creek with cypress trees that are massive and hundreds of years old. It's, it's super cool and not something you would think would be in Texas, but it is and it's super cool. So found this piece of land that just has these views that go on for, I mean, I have to find out the exact number because I just throw stuff out there, but it's got to be a hundred miles, right? It's it, They go on for a long time and there's a lot of topography change. So it just creates a lot of drama with the view as well. And they're west facing. So you get these like incredible sunsets on top of it. So, I mean, I saw this land. I was actually with my wife who was pregnant, my mother-in-law. Like I said, I got under contract the next day, got close with the owners, found out they were selling this five acre parcel up top and they owned 14 acres down below and found out they were like kind of interested in maybe selling that and figured out a way to, to kind of, you know, pull that away as well and, and get a better price per acre actually on the whole thing by buying the whole kit and caboodle and doing a much bigger project than I thought I was going to do. I thought we were going to do 10 units on the on that little five acre parcel. And turns out we're doing 28 units on a 20 acre parcel within a vent barn and this beautiful infinity edge pool and all facing these killer views. And the five acre sort of top parcel with some of the best views we're doing very similar units to spyglass. They're a little bigger, bigger decks on the end, but still hot tip on the end, that kind of tubular shape and kind of poking out from the side of the hill with all these trees interspersed. So it's, it's a really good unit for the land there because there's not a ton of land. So we needed narrow units and we also need, you know, had to figure out how to create privacy with those kind of narrow shooted units. So the, the spyglass or similar unit made a lot of sense. And then down below, we have a new unit type that we're calling the greenhouse, which is kind of similar to walnut. If you've seen that on the Onera site, it's kind of similar to a container home, but it's not a container home, a box. And it just has these floor to ceiling, massive windows in the front, tons of glass facing this amazing view, generous deck out that you know window and sliding doors with a hot tub all facing this view. And then there's a vegetated rooftop deck on the top of the unit. So it kind of blends into the hillside is the goal, right? We're going to have this natural kind of prairie grass and various native Texas grasses that are going to grow on the roof. I think, who's the treehouse guy, Pete? Do you know the, the treehouse master? Do you know that show? I do know the show. I don't know the guy's name. I'm blanking on his name, but he had a project, a treehouse that he did with a, a live living roof that looked pretty fun to do with the watering yeah. system up there and everything. So. We're going to, so water is a big issue in central Texas. So we're really trying to be very conscious doing native as much as possible and trying to minimize the irrigation requirements that we're going to need. Is artistry involved in this one? They are involved in this one. They help with a lot of the concepting and initial, and we have some other local architects. They're, they're really more so in California these days. So we're, we're working with some more local architects on the stage that we're at now, which is really like construction administration and more of the, the brass tacks of, of getting the thing built. And it's cool. I mean, we're foundations are poured. We're getting framed up. I mean, you can see what this thing's going to be. Are you posting this stuff on Twitter? Not yet, but we, we will be. We will be posting it on Twitter. I actually have our new uh, lead producer, who's also a videographer, is coming to Central Texas next week. And we're going to do a few hours out there and, and we're going to shoot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many people on real estate Twitter that would be fascinated by this and love yeah. to follow the progress. I had yeah. uh, Antonia Botero on Botero. She's uh, out in Park City, Utah. I don't know if you follow her on Twitter. She's great, but she's building yeah. her dream house out in Park City and, you know, just documenting the whole thing on Twitter. And 
it's just fun to follow her, like the stages of it. And uh, I think something similar with this in Wimberley would be awesome too. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, we, we've been talking about it and it's just, it's just a matter of like getting out there, shooting and putting it out. So talk to me a little bit more. You've also got a place in Palm Springs called The yep. Spirit of Sophia. Talk to us about that project, what that was like to do. Sure. So Spirit of Sophia is another asset in the real estate fund that I raised with John. And the whole idea around Spirit of Sophia is, you know, boutique hotel renovation. So we, we bought an existing boutique hotel that was kind of, kind of vanilla, right? I mean, it was, you know, everything was white. It was kind of Spanish revival, Mediterranean style. It, it had pretty good bones, but there wasn't a whole lot of pizzazz. Right. And we basically just tried to, you know, go as vibey, Instagrammable and fun as we possibly could with that property. And I will say too, I mean, I hired a great designer who actually works on our social team now as well. And Jesse was, was living out in Southern California. So he was, he was helping a lot with that project as well. And, you know, thankfully Onera, I mean, I was involved, you know, in every little step along the way. Thankfully with Spirit of Sophia, I was able to you know, have my team really bring that to life and just be kind of a checkpoint along the way, which was really awesome thinking about how we scale this, like how we do more of these projects and, and really churn them out. So um, yeah, the idea with Spirit of Sophia was how do we bring it to life? And also it's a 23 bedroom, but there's two sides. So there's an 11 bedroom side and a 12 bedroom side. So you can rent it as like a big group. And then we also thought we could rent individual rooms as well. Came to find out that renting to the big groups was the more profitable and, and a higher margin and less operational headache than doing 11 individual check-ins and checkouts, different guests. So we leaned into that and we really targeted the, the amenity stack around that. Like, you know, right. We turned the lobby into more of like a, a dining room kitchen we turned what was the spa into like a three bedroom villa with a living room. We created these beautiful outdoor dining spaces and, and this big green turf area, which is super Instagrammable with like this cozy nook with a bunch of mirrors in the back and just tried to, to make it as attractive from a design standpoint and really like fun and vibey as we could. We, we call it the Palm Springiest experience in all of Palm Springs, right? Then that's kind of like our, our running joke, right? We just tried to lean into the rainbows and the, you know, the turf and the twinkle lights and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it has this beautiful backdrop of the mountains. So you get these amazing photos, but you're right in the heart of Palm Springs, which is part of the beauty of Palm Springs, right? It's that you have this beautiful mid-century architecture. You have these amazing mountains behind you. And you also have these like cool hip shops and restaurants and all these fun things to do right downtown. And golf courses all around. And golf courses. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. So like an average day, is your most of your focus on Wimberley right now? Or are you thinking bigger picture? Like what's the next project? Where are we headed with this? Talk to us just about an average day for you. Yeah. So I'm definitely managing a lot of things, but I have really, really good people around me. I feel as well supported as I ever have in my career. And some of that comes down to, I'm not willing to skimp right on the people that I hire. I will pay more for better people. My GC today, I know he's a little more expensive. I mean, he's more expensive than the first GC that I hired, but the first GC that I hired, you know, came in 50% over budget. And I know my guy now is going to give me a number that he's going to hit or come under. Right. And I trust him to the nth degree. We have a weekly meeting out there. He brings stuff to me that he needs to, but I don't have to micromanage him at all. Right. I know he's going to figure it out. So 
as much as I can trying to put people like that around me, you know, my partner, Jesse, that I mentioned, like he's sort of leading and helping build this social machine and checking in with me along the way. I mean, right now we're building this new department. So we're talking more than usual, you know, hour, hour and a half a day, a lot, in a lot of, a lot of cases trying to figure out the best path forward and, and how we're going to roll this out. But sorry, when we're not building up a new department, we may only talk 20, 30 minutes a day. That new department is social media related? Exactly. Yeah. Social media. So content creation, working with influencers and collaborators. So continuing to build that network and recruit them and manage them and all that. And then just the social media management, right? Posting and captions and community engagement, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we're, we're doing that for ourselves, honing it for ourselves. We do have third-party clients already and we are at the stage where we can really bring on additional third-party clients and we think blow it out of the water for them, really perform. And that kind of gets into this full service revenue management approach that we're taking. So it's this like holistic revenue management approach and revenue growth approach. So it's pricing optimization, guest experience and customer service. And then you layer social on top of that and the content creation you know, engaging videos that have the chance to go viral and then social media influencers to help grow the audience. It's this like perfect storm of, I mean, we can bump you from, you know, where you're at 10, 15, 20, 25%, sometimes more. And we only, we try to only work with third-party clients that are willing to invest in their products, right? Like they want to be one of one in their market. They're willing to invest in that. We, we don't want to work with clients that are like skimping and trying to cut corners and offer like a value product. Because it doesn't serve us, it doesn't serve them. It's not best suited for social and it's not best suited for our model. So are you doing active outreach then for these these third-party people or are they approaching you? Right now they're approaching us. It's all inbound. And we sort of talked about, I have my hands full with Onera Wimberly, Onera Fredericksburg, kind of continuing to build out this team, You know, work with my various departments and make sure the machine is sort of running the way it should be, building out systems and processes so we can scale. We've done a lot of that. So we're, we're definitely able to, to bring on a number of quality targeted clients, but we're not quite at the point of like, I want to do a bunch of outbound. And I just believe in this strategy of pull a little more than push. Right. If I can, if what I say resonates with people and the type of products we have resonates with people, I'm hoping that will attract. And so far it has attract like-minded folks that, that want to deliver a higher end, unique one of one experience. Like I'm not getting a lot of people that are like, Oh, I'm throwing up tents in the backyard. Will you help me price them? It's not really the audience. I mean, I talk a lot about spend more to make more, right? Not how to cost cut. So where do you see the unique stays market going in the next three to five, 10 years? So I definitely believe that there's still room in this kind of, you know, higher end piece of the market. I think there's some more inventory, you know, coming out there, but the space is kind of glutted with this mid-tier products, right? Most of the big brands are, in my opinion, mid-tier, AutoCamp, Under Canvas, Getaways, even like more of a value product. So I still think there's a lot of room on that top tier. And I think people are willing to pay. I mean, we've seen that, right? Like our top performing units cost us more, but I mean, it's paying for itself in less than a year, right? The additional cost. So it just makes sense to spend more and do it higher end and better. I also think that, as I said earlier, if you're a traveler and you have the option to stay at a four star, maybe even a five star chain hotel or stay at 
this one of a kind treehouse at Onera. Yeah, you you have to go off property to to eat dinner, but maybe you like that anyway. Uh, I just think that people are going to choose that option that's more experiential. You feel like you're getting so much more for your money in a different way than a traditional hotel. I love hearing about these stories. This is really great stuff that you're up to. And I really admire all that uh, that you've created so far and looking forward to seeing what's on your uh, future horizon. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it. Loved uh, chopping it up. Hopefully you got some good stuff. Yeah, this is great, Ben. So for our listeners that just wanted to learn more about you, learn more about Onera, get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so you follow me on Twitter at Unique Stays Guy. Feel free to, to follow me. You'll hear me talk on about a lot of the stuff that, that we started to touch on in this podcast. You're welcome to DM me as well. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search Ben Wolf Onera. I should pop right up and you can you can reach out to me that way as well. And certainly follow us at Stay Onera, at Spirit of Sophia on Instagram. We're, I think we're pumping out some really cool stuff. And if you want to come stay with us, you're in the area. I think we, we offer a, a pretty one-of-a-kind experience. Absolutely. I'll put show notes to all the, all the websites and everything so people can find that easily. Ben, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, folks, that's all I had for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you back here real soon. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.